Hello. Good evening, everyone. How's it going? Nice to see you. It's good to be back. Um, been a few weeks. Um, some stuff's been happening. Uh, f so f first of all, before I say um, anything else, um, a really, really big thank you uh, from the bottom of myself and Maddie's hearts uh, for all of your love and support uh, welcoming baby Ozzy uh, into the world, which is awesome. <laughs> Um, he's going to hear his dad's first preach tonight, so hopefully uh, it's not bad. If it does suck, it's his fault. Sorry, it is. Um, so if, if I can string some sentences together, um, that would be a miracle. That would be a miracle. Um, what I want to do before we get started is read to you from the passage that we're going to be looking at. If you have a Bible, uh, either on your phone or a real-life paper one, feel free to get that. Um, we're going to be in John, um, which is near the end of the Bible, chapter 5, and I'm just going to read verses 1 to 18. Okay, this is John chapter 5, verses 1 to 18. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, he replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. How have I managed to lose my place? There it is, verse 11. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So I want to uh, start by uh, explaining, uh, revealing something about myself, um, a little bit personal, which is that before I met Maddie, I was a terrible cook. And I don't know if you can relate to someone in your life who maybe showed you the ropes and taught you how to make your first meal. But for me, it happened very late in life. And I was a very late bloomer when it came to basically learning how to survive by eating food that wasn't just like microwave meals or frozen goods. I was terrible as a cook, always. Uh, I never really learned how to cook. Basically, when I was at university, my repertoire was a kind of very basic chicken pasta bake. That was, like a, that was a good night for me if I managed to pull that off. Uh, scrambled eggs was my second meal, and my third meal was pizza, obviously frozen, and I had to try not to burn it. That was like the extent to which I could like look after myself and otherwise was very much relying on people looking after me, helping me out, and I managed to get by for like a surprisingly long time without learning how to like really look after myself uh, and do that properly. Now, Maddie had a placement uh, in London, and this was before we were dating, uh, and so I went to go visit 
try and make a good impression, you know, see if I could convince her to like me. And uh, Maddie's in charge of preparing a meal that night. And I was like, great, I'm going to do the thing. I want to make myself to be this eligible bachelor. You know, let me help with the food. I can, I can help with the food. She goes, yeah, fine. We're, uh, you can do the guacamole. So can you just handle the avocados? We need those taken care of. Um, you know, there's a team already doing it. Go and help them. We're making a big, big batch for me and this team of like 15 people that we're going to feed. So I sit down and I'm like, cool, what's an avocado? So I hold this thing in my hand and I'm like, what the heck is this? I've had guac, I've eaten it. I don't know if I'd ever touched an avocado in my life up until this point. And I was like, what do you do with this? Literally, it's a mystery. I try to peel the thing with my hands. It is a mess. I do get inside it and I'm like, why won't the knife go through? There's something in the middle of this thing. It is scheming against me. I cannot get this thing to work. And everyone else is there like dealing with it like a ninja. They're going at peeling the thing apart, twisting it, slicing it like this. It was unbelievable. I was really struggling. And so I very quickly moved away from that onto grating cheese, which is where my skill set really lay. I was really, really struggling. But when Maddie and I started dating, one of the things that happened is occasionally, if, I would, um, you know, if we were able to do this, we would make a meal together. That was just a thing that we liked to try and do. It was really important for me because I needed the help. I needed so much help. And so Maddie was a very gracious head chef. And I was the sous chef. And I would learn under her. And she would teach me how to cook. And I absolutely loved it. And all of a sudden, this whole world of food opened up to me that I could make whenever I wanted. And it wasn't even like expensive or difficult. I could actually do it. It was incredible. And I'm very grateful uh, to Maddie for basically helping me to survive uh, and to learn how to look after myself if I ever needed to by cooking. And what I discovered as I reflect on this is that basically it's not that I didn't have the ability to do this before. I could have gone to the store, all the ingredients were there, I could have gone and done it, and I could have learned, but I never did. And the trouble was whenever I got hungry, I just went into the kitchen and was like, right, what have I got here? And I was like opening up the cupboards. And I'm like, okay, I have this and this and this. And I would try and make something work. And I wouldn't refer to instructions. I wouldn't ask for help. I would just try and make do with what I had. And, I, it, and the food was rubbish because of that. It was tasteless and bland or burned the same thing every single time. I really struggled. And so what I needed was some external help. I needed some new ingredients. I needed to be told that actually there is a whole world out there of spices and cooking and slow cooking and all these wonderful things you can do ahead of time. Sauces and marinades and this wonderful world of food. Oh, it's all out there. But also I needed a safe pair of hands to show me how to do it. I'd thought that you know, there was this little box and food was inside it and actually it was so much bigger than that. And once someone came in, a master chef, they showed me that life was so much bigger. There was so much more food to be made. And obviously, I would start a sermon by talking about food for five minutes, but I've got, I've got I'm done, I'm done. What's, what's that got to do with this story? Well, I believe that there, tonight, in this story, there is an invitation to broaden our horizons. And also, there is help from someone to show us how to live well. In the same way that as I met Maddie, all of a sudden, things, uh, there was a world of possibilities with food, things I didn't know existed. God, when we encounter him, says there is so much more than what you think there is. And secondly, we're not left on our own. He says, I will show you how to live, how to do it. You see, the pool where this story takes off, it's a picture of us, or in this man's case, 
trying to solve life's problems with what you have in the cupboard, as it were, with what you have right in front of you. Now, you might have seen, if you were reading it in your own Bible, there's a little uh, note, and sometimes you have to pay attention to these. There's a little note where verse 4 normally is. You may notice that verse 4, from a lot of versions, isn't there. And it's because there's an explanation that a lot of scholars think was added in later, because the story doesn't really make sense without this explanation. And it's that basically there was this mysterious happening with this pool, that once every so often, the waters would appear to kind of bubble up and swirl. And people thought, well, flip, there must be something miraculous maybe about this water. So we'll jump in. And then there were stories of people being healed. And so it became this big cultural thing. Ah, when the waters are bubbling up and being stirred, it's an angel. So you've got to get in and get healed. And so this man, having a problem, looked in front of him and said, this has to be the solution. There have been stories I have heard. I live here. So this must be the way forward, right? He was working within the bounds of what he had in front of him. And so that's what became his normal reality. It became normal for him. And it's true for us as well that sometimes in life, we have a really, really short field of vision. And that if you are going through something difficult, if you have a question about what is coming next, if you feel like you can't see far down the road, sometimes we just say, right, the answer must be here in front of me within my own means and we just say this is a normal thing I'm going to deal with this with what I have in front of me and we settle in to that way of life and then something ridiculous happens in verse 6 Jesus says do you want to get well what a ridiculous question of all the questions that have been asked this is the one that makes me really wonder what was going on in Jesus head if he was all knowing what on earth is he doing asking this man who is unwell do you want to get well? That would be like Maddie asking me, I have not eaten in five days. Matt, would you like a meal? It is a bizarre question. Makes no sense to me. Unless there is an assumption in this question that maybe, maybe, the man was okay with being unwell, which is an odd concept. Maybe he had become okay. He'd been doing this for a really, really long time. He'd been there for ages. And he never quite got in. And still he stayed. And so Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to get well? It's almost this sort of, almost a sarcastic, I always wonder what the tone is in these questions. What was the tone of voice here? Was there an edge of, do you really want to get well? I do wonder what that was meant to to mean. And I think it's a fascinating choice of question. And it hints at this possibility that he's just okay with life as it is. And I think there is a wonderful opportunity for us tonight to hear the words of Jesus to us individually, do you want to get well? It's very easy to just say, this is a story about a man 2,000 years ago. It's got nothing to do with me. But for you tonight, Jesus says, do you want to get well? Or are you happy with your current situation and you don't need anything changed? This is a question for us about how we are trying to live, and I believe it's an invitation to step into something totally different. Because in verse 8 are these loud, bold, incredible, and powerful words, get up. He says, get up. In the New Testament, this phrase is also the same phrase that would often be used to talk about this idea of resurrection, of being lifted up from dead to life. When the authors are trying to think of the word to use, 
It was the same one that Jesus uses as an instruction. He says, stop being the way that you are and live. Get up, change, be turned around, experience something new, a new power, a new energy moving through you. Get up and be changed. It's amazing that uh, in John, there are seven signs or seven miracles And John is this unbelievable author. He's super creative. And one of the theories is that John, in choosing seven stories like this, is saying that God is, what else, where where else do we see seven in the Bible? Can someone just shout out an answer? Where else do we see seven, very famously? Genesis, bam, thank you very much. That was Maddie. I did not pay her to say that. That was just off the dome. Who Who says we're sleep deprived? We're doing great. Seven days of creation. A very famous concept, really well known. Why is it being echoed here? Well, John is saying that when Jesus comes in, things are being made new. There is new life. There is new possibility. There is change. There is the opportunity for you if you are feeling left out, marginalized, on the run, whatever. Jesus says, come to me. There is change afoot. Things are being made new. I have got purpose for you waiting, a new life. I have got transformation and it is on offer to you now. Get up, he says in verse eight. And so there is a big invitation. But finally, there is also an example to follow. And we see in verses 9 and 10 that, uh, and Dave Mitchell, if you didn't hear it, you might be able to listen uh, later on. Uh, he was talking this morning on John chapter 2, and he said this, that miracles bring conflict. That if there is a sign and a wonder, there's sometimes backlash was the word. And actually, we see that really clearly happening in this story. Jesus performs this incredible miracle. This man doesn't even have the ability to ask to be made well. And Jesus says, That's, I'm just going to speak it over you. Get up and walk. The guy doesn't even ask for it. And Jesus is like, no, no, this is going to happen. Get up and walk. Resurrection life. It's going to get you and it's going to get you good. Your life is about to change. And then what happens? People start kicking off. And of course they do. They needed any reason, really, but it happened on the Sabbath. And of course, that's the thing they pick up on. Not, sorry, you're saying that your bones didn't work two minutes ago and they hadn't worked for like most of your life. And now they do. They weren't, they didn't worry about that. This happened on a Sunday. What do you, what's going on? How could you possibly be carrying your mat on a Sunday, of all things? And it shows this legalistic mindset that they had. But it, healing and miracles bring conflict. Um, Tom Wright, uh, he was reflecting on this, and he said, it's like Jesus was operating in a different time zone, a theologically different time zone. Because these two parties were engaging with the same issue, It's just that Jesus had a much different perspective. It's like he was a few hours ahead looking back, saying, you've got this wrong. And that's because Jesus had the knowledge that Sabbath was important, as did they. But Jesus had the wisdom to know that the Sabbath serves us and not the other way around. The Sabbath is for us. It is for us to enjoy rest, to come closer to God, to enjoy his goodness and his relationship It is not for us to be legalistic and red-taped and bordered and crazy like these people were being. And so healing brings conflict. But finally, look at this in verse 14, this other thing that Jesus says. See, you are well again. Now stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. We don't have time, maybe there's a question for this later in Slido, about was there a connection between this man's actions and his physical state? The Bible generally is quite clear that sin does not result in, you know, your, uh, if something bad happens in your life, 
Karma is not something that you find in the Bible, but this is really interesting that Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse could happen to you. This is a really clear warning from Jesus. Look, I'm offering you life, and sometimes at church, I'm really guilty of this as a preacher. It's all, Jesus is amazing. He's going to change your life. Things are going to be awesome. It's like watching the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. It's super positive. Come and join in. You're going to be rich and attractive, and your life's going to be wonderful. That's half the story. The other, I don't know if those things will all happen. You know, it's true for the Rodericks. I don't know if it's true for you, but the other side of the story is Jesus says, stop sinning. Sort your life out. You have to take stock. You can't just accept the invitation and carry on your life as it was. There is a serious warning here that your actions need to line up with your words. If you say yes to the invitation from Jesus, there is a strong and serious command to take stock and to stop sinning. And sinning is this uh, old school concept, and it's effectively when we miss the mark. If you picture an arrow being shot, and it's when you miss the target. And it's these things that we do in life that just send us off course, and we all know what they are. Whether it's being addicted to your phones, Rory and Caleb, or whether it's some other thing that you've got going on, it could be really serious, it could be really minor. It's anything that distracts you from living the life God called you to live. And Jesus says, quite simply, stop sinning. Cut it out. Stop it. And how often do we take this seriously and take stock of our lives and say, as David did in Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your love, according to your great compassion. Would you blot out my transgressions? Wash all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I don't want it anymore. How often do we stop and do that? And in verse 17, Jesus says, I do what I see the Father doing. And this is what I want to close with. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus himself followed an example? That bends my mind slightly. Jesus, God himself, the person that we follow, he followed someone. He followed what he saw the Father doing. And because he did that, he's actually laying out an example for every single one of us. So we might look at this and say, Matt, I love the idea of an invitation to a new life. I like the idea of stopping sinning. How the heck do I do it? Jesus says, follow me as I, see, as I do what I see the Father doing. As I follow him, you're going to follow my example. And I'm going to show you how to live a life worth living. And so in the same way that I didn't know how to cook to save my life, literally, I would have died if I was left alone for more than three days. Maddie steps in and opens up my mind to a world of new possibilities and new food and new tastes and new experiences. And more than that, she lovingly stands beside me and says, no, 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 take out the oven. You can smell it. It's burning. She shows me how to do it. She teaches me. She trains my hands. She says, no, no, this amount. No, trust this. Do that. Smell that. All these things, she shows me what to do. Jesus comes alongside us and says, look, there is this invitation to step into new life. The same way that I said to this man, get up and walk. I'm saying to you, get up and live different. But also, I'm going to show you how to do it. Walk with me. Let my spirit fill you. Let me show you how to live this new life. Is there something you are trying to do in your own strength Or something that you are trying to force to happen in your own life? Do you need to lean on God instead? 
Or maybe is there some sin, some wrong thing that is eating you up inside and it's slowing you down in your walk with God. It's stopping you from becoming a full person. It's stopping you from forming relationships with others. You know it and you feel guilty. Is there that thing in your life that you need to cut out and you need help with it? If there is, God wants to do business tonight. He wants to help with those things. Or maybe you've lost inspiration to just do good work. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, don't give up doing good. Don't stop it. Don't give up. Where are the followers of Jesus today who are prepared to say, Jesus is at work, so am I. Can I pray for us? Father God, we thank you for this story. We thank you for this encounter of Jesus and this man at the pool. And we see so clearly this invitation to a new way of life. that This guy didn't even know he needed. And Lord, I pray for us in this room tonight that, Lord, we would have a really clear sense of the invitation that stands before each of us to walk into new life. Lord, we may have said yes to you a long time ago, and you're saying there's more. I'm not finished with you yet. And so, God, I pray that we would all have a renewed sense of that calling into new life. But God, for those of us who just feel weighed down, we can't do that. We can't walk with you. God, whether it is some sin, this thing that has got a hold on us, whether it's an addiction or a thought pattern or it's a person that's really giving us grief, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that those things would be broken and Lord, we would be empowered to follow you better. Oh Lord, we just pray that your freedom would come, that it would sweep through this place, Lord, that we would be people equipped and called to follow you really closely. Oh, show us how to do it. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you model for us. You, you, you move our legs. You train us to do this, to follow you well. Lord, show us what that looks like on a day-to-day basis, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.